Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to episode 182 of the Robots Podcast. I am Jana and today is all about supernumerary limbs, which essentially means extra arms and or legs. Federico Parietti is a PhD candidate at MIT and his research focuses on developing extra robot limbs that can help humans when an extra hand, arm or leg is needed. The robotic limbs can be fitted to users much like a rucksack, for example. But the really fascinating part is that they've been programmed to decide for themselves when and how to help. Because if you need an extra arm, your own arms are likely to be busy already and wouldn't be able to control a robot. Our interviewer, Audro, spoke to Federico to find out how exactly it all works and what the uses of such devices could be. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Federico, and I work on wearable robots here at the mechanical engineering department in MIT. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here with you today. Great. Can you tell me the goals and motivation behind your research? Uh, yeah, so I work on wearable robots, uh, which are essentially robots that you can, you can put on. Um, and these robots are built uh, to give humans something new, something more with respect to what they have in their natural bodies. Um, these kind of robots can make you stronger, can make you faster, uh, or can provide you additional information like, for example, the Google Glass. What I work right now on is a physical augmentation. Um, so by wearing my robots, uh, a human can essentially become um, stronger or avoid fatigue, um, or they can acquire skills that were not possible before. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what it looks like? Essentially, it's two additional arms. So when you're wearing the robot, uh, you're essentially wearing this backpack um, kind of harness, uh, and you're, you're, you're carrying around two additional arms that can help you doing um, tasks coordinated with your hands, uh, but they can also reach for the ground, or reach for the environment, and support you. Mm -hmm. And also, they're located at there at the wearer's hips. Yes. So the good thing is that since these two additional arms essentially are springing out of your hip, as you said, uh, they can act as legs, but they can also act as arms. But they can also reach where you can't reach, so behind you, almost like a tail. So there's really no limit. That's why we call them additional limbs because there's not really a particular definition. <laughs> yeah. So how is this different from exoskeletons with the extra limbs? Yeah, that's a very important point because these limbs are independent. So they can move um, on their own without having to copy the motion of the, of, the, of the human. Like in exoskeletons, which are, let's say, Iron Man style, uh, the robot has to follow the human. So as you move the robot follows you because the robot is built as a suit. In this case, the robot is wearable, but it's also independent. So you can move, you can do whatever you want, and the robot is free to coordinate in an independent way. 
So people, people say this is a Dr. Octopus kind of robot <laughs> because the arms are independent. <laughs> and what kind of sensors and actuators are on the wearable system? Yeah, so um, each one of the two robotic limbs has uh, three uh, actuators. We have two uh, rotational motors in the, in, the, in the shoulder of the robot and they can kind of pick the direction where the robot moves. And then the legs are telescopic, so they extend and retract. Um, and, uh, and these are the actuators. So this means that the robot can essentially reach any point in space within a workspace, which is essentially a sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the sensors, on the robot we have uh, four sensors and position sensors. So the robot knows where it is and what it's touching and how, how, how strong it's pushing. Um, and then we also use sensors on the human, and that's, that's also very important because we have to detect uh, human motion, um, sometimes also human muscle activity and brain activity. And we have also some experiments on gaze, so detecting where the human is looking at so the robot can coordinate. Now, the arms have a ball and socket method of being attached. Can yes. you tell me a bit about that and the advantages of it? Yeah, so essentially it's... Uh, the, the, the arms are attached to the, to the base of the robot uh, through a joint which is essentially a sphere. It's called a ball and socket, but it's essentially a, a sphere. Um, and it's what we have essentially in our shoulder. So we can rotate our shoulder around in all directions, right? Because it's like a sphere. And, and the good thing is that um, whenever the robot is pushing on the ground, uh, the forces go from the ground through the center of that sphere. Uh, so this means that essentially you can sit on the robot arms without wasting energy. And the robot stays there and you don't really need the motors to lift you. Mm-hmm. And can you give me some applications and situations where these supernumerary limbs might be used? Yeah, so our first, first scenario of application was uh, aircraft assembly. So we, we really visited... Um, aircraft assembly factories and we realized that uh, for some tasks there were two or three workers um, collaborating for the same task but only one of the two or three was doing the important tasks for example drilling Uh, the other two were just helping with kind of boring and very very tiring tasks like lifting parts or following the the first worker with a vacuum cleaner so the idea is why can't a robot do that why can't a wearable system do that and help the, the, the worker? And that was the first application. Uh, then we also realized that a lot of workers get tired uh, because they have to work in uncomfortable positions. And so a robot like this can just compensate for the weight of the, of the user and so make working much easier and less tiring. And then finally, we also realized that there are a lot of people that either when, because they are rehabilitating or because they're old, uh, they need uh, additional legs or additional arms uh, in order to, to keep a, uh, a comfortable lifestyle to avoid the risk of falling down. And so this robot can also help them. Mm-hmm. And it does so by, so when they're taking their step, one leg is in front of the other and the weak directions are mm-hmm. perpendicular to the direct or diagonal to the way they're heading. Yeah, so this is actually, this is a very interesting uh, point because whenever we walk, uh, we are unstable, so we risk of falling down, and falling is very dangerous for us. We are just bipeds, right? So when we fall down, it's catastrophic, essentially. <laughs> and um, 
the curious thing is that um, even in, even in martial arts, like in judo, for example, when you have both feet on the ground, if you push in the direction which is perpendicular to that line, the line that joins your feet, you fall down. So a lot of like martial art techniques block your legs and then push in the perpendicular direction so you fall down easily. <laughs> so that's kind of the weak point. Uh, but how can we use the robot to improve it? Uh, to actually remove that weakness. So if we put the robot in the weak direction, then you can't fall anymore. Uh, because either if, either, even if you slip in that direction, there is a robotic leg already in the ground there. So this is the idea. When we walk, um, the robotic legs swing where our legs are not. And so we're always very stable. Mm-hmm. So they swing similar to our arms, being opposite to yes. the foot that's stepping forward. It's, it's something similar to that, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they plant themselves on the ground in theory. Yes. Uh, actually, um, for, for the purpose of uh, balance assistance, they don't even need contact with the ground. They just need to be in the right place, uh, close to the ground, let's say, because in case you sleep, they are there. How does this research compare to similar work? Uh, there are <laughs> The fact that our limbs can be both arms and legs makes us, let's say, similar and different to a lot of robots, uh, both to robotic manipulators that are typically arms and to exoskeletons that are typically legs. Um, so let's, let's talk first about the legs. So for example, there are a lot of exoskeletons right now that are used for by paralyzed people, essentially to walk again and not use the wheelchair. Um, those, exoskeletons, those are exoskeletons, so they follow the legs and they, they move the legs along the trajectory. Essentially, they, they determine one step after the other but they can't really keep balance. So users still have to use their arms to use crutches and balance. So the idea would be that our robot would be complementary to these robots. Uh, so even if you're paralyzed, you can use a simple exoskeleton to move your legs and these additional, uh, uh, let's say, robotic crutches to avoid falling down. Um, there are also robotic walkers that have been developed for elderly people but the robotic walker, essentially, it's, it's a robot with wheels, and so you can't really go up and down stairs. And it still requires the elderly person to use their hands. So in our case, you don't really need to use your hands. The robot just follows you. What are some challenges of this research, and what are some lessons learned from those challenges? Okay, there are so many challenges. One challenge is, for, for sure, making the robot comfortable. So people, people have to wear this robot. Uh, so you have to make it as easy to wear as possible and as light as possible. So weight might seem an easy thing to do, but if you need a robot that can lift you, um, you're gonna need some mass, some pretty strong actuators. So actually right now, the goal of like having the robot light, but still functional, still powerful, is really driving us towards like really exotic materials like carbon fiber or fiberglass. We can't use metal anymore, it's too heavy. (laughs) So that was one lesson learned. <laughs> Try to make it as light as possible because that's essential for users. Um, another challenge for sure is, is the interaction with the human because we have independent arms. So just, just copying what the human is doing is not enough. We need to, to have some kind of independent source of information from the human. We have to find a way so that the human can control these legs uh, without sacrificing anything. So for example, if we used our arms to control robotic arms, additional robotic arms, 
that would essentially miss the point <laughs> because we're still stuck using our two arms, right? So the idea is how can we extract from the human actions independent signals so you can drive additional arms without using the without limiting your own. And this is what, for example, we've been doing while, while walking when we strapped an accelerometer to the human legs. So you're just walking normally. And we are detecting this, the frequency of the steps. So we're detecting every step. So the robot knows when you're stepping without you having to tell the robot and can just synchronize with that autonomously. So you can still do whatever you want with your arms and you can walk at any speed with your legs, but the robot synchronizes without you telling. So that's, of course, a simple periodic example, but uh, the idea is how can we keep on this direction of like a very intuitive interaction. Yeah. And so once you have an intuitive interaction, do you think you'll have the arms and legs swapping back and forth, like being utilized as both within the same system? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's really no limit. <laughs> once you have a good interface, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, you can use the robot to like give you, pass you objects that, you know, you are not, uh, you, you need, you need, but you, if you have your, if you're using your hands already, you can't really reach for them. You can use it for locomotion, for safety. We actually don't know how many uses there are for additional arms yeah. because that's not nature. Like no one has ever had additional arms. So I bet that if we provide a reliable man-machine interface, people would just come up with new uses. Going forward, what are your plans and goals? Uh, with respect to this research? Yes. Yeah, so, well, the good thing would be that um, to, to bring this, uh, this robot out of the lab, like into society, uh, either uh, for the manufacturing application, so helping workers, or for the rehabilitating or elderly people's systems. Um, I think that would be great. We already have a lot of patents, uh, either filed. Uh, or about to be filed on this on this on this robot. So it's a it's a pretty solid technology and it's a pretty unique technology because of the independence of the arms. Uh, so we think it's it's very promising. Uh, this is a very good moment to you know start uh, startups or ventures. So this could be a good application. What advice do you have for beginning researchers? I just say do whatever you like. Do what you like. Like refuse to do something that you don't like. Because it's hard, it's hard. I mean, um, this is like, uh, this is the fourth prototype I built in the last three years. So it's a lot of work, it's a lot of learning, there's a lot of obstacles, and sometimes nothing works. So the only way to survive is if you love what you're doing. So if you love it, there's really no problem, you can do whatever you want. So I would say to researchers, like, you know, pick the field that you really love, stick with that, even if people tell you to go elsewhere, because, you know, Doing what you like is essential to actually do it well. Mm -hmm. Now, actually, that's very that's interesting. You brought up how many iterations you've done with this. Can yeah. you talk a bit about that? The rapid turnaround time you've had. Yeah, I think this uh, this is a little bit extreme in our lab. So no single prototype for me has ever lasted more than like six months, and not before not because they break, uh, because we move on to the next thing. Um, so in every prototype, we, we, we build a prototype to test a new control idea, to test a new design idea. And then we see if it works or if it doesn't. And then we start immediately to build a newer prototype that takes in account of those lessons. So that, that's how we, we realize the, the role uh, that we have now, which is much, much lighter with respect to the first one. So we realized, 
for example, joint torque is not that important if the robot is heavy. It's much heavier, much much better to have a slightly weaker robot, but also lighter. Um, if you use those torques in a smart way, like with the bone and socket joint and so on. So this, this is very particular in, in, in our lab. So right now I'm talking about the latest prototype, six months, we'll have a new one. <laughs> yeah. So do you think it's extremely, do you think it's beneficial? So yeah, it's very beneficial because this means that you're really not, sometimes we come up with applications that are new and if I was stuck using my first prototype, I couldn't even use the robot to do that because it was a robot which was like designed to do something else. So like all of these iterations allow, allow us to be like very reactive so we can just follow the, the hottest topic uh, and just, just, you know, incorporate the feedback that we receive in conferences very quickly. And wrapping up, what do you believe is the future of robotics? Uh, so in terms of robotics, I believe the future is like divided in two huge areas. There are autonomous robots and there are wearable robots. Um, so the goal of autonomous robots is uh, to be as intelligent as possible, essentially to act as let's say, support or um, uh, let's say helper to the human, but independent helper, a kind of you know, butler robot or something like that. Um, and then there are wearable robots, and their goal is not really to help as an external agent. Wearable robots have the goals of making the wearer better. It's essentially human augmentation, right? So that's the field I'm working on. Um, and so the challenge for us is not really to make the robot smart or to give artificial intelligence. Our challenge is simply how to make the robot as useful as possible to the, to the human, right? it's not an easy challenge because we don't have currently sensors that tell us what the human is thinking, what the user wants to do. And so the idea is that our robot must be very, let's say, smart in understanding what the user wants to do and doing it in the best possible way. So essentially we're in the process of building extension to the human body. So we need to understand both the same mechanical and the, let's say, neural part of the process and that's a challenge which is, I think, unique to wearable robots. Thank you. You're welcome. And that's it for today. If you'd like to find out more and see some of the awesome videos of supernumerary limbs in action, just visit our website at robotspodcast.com. And for the latest news and development in robotics, check out robohub.org. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Limbs with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.